It is a, uh, it is a great privilege to introduce uh, both Margaret and Rodney to you. Um, we know them through Torrance Valley Christian School, where they've... So Margaret's our Head of Welfare, and Rodney's done a lot of chaplaincy work there over the years and supporting of people. So, Our three um, children have attended there as well. And, yeah, I was going to get to the, <laughs> the children. We've got the family. Oh, tell us yeah. first about the family. Tell us a little bit. Oh, well, Margaret and I have been married for uh, 26 years. I met her in 1995 in Washington, D.C. I've been here in Australia for 27 years now. Uh, come from Washington, D.C. So I met Margaret in Washington, D.C., I came over here in 95 for six months just to minister and to tell young people about the goodness and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ because I come to know Christ when I was 30 years old. And I'd, I would love to have come to know him when I was much younger. And I wanted the young people to know that it's, it's, it's a wonderful thing to come to know Christ at a young age so you don't waste a lot of time. So I came in for six months and I'm still here 26 years later. Started off in Tasmania. By the grace of God. Yeah. There might be a visa issue there somewhere, <laughs> I'm sure. Uh, Tasmania. Why Tasmania? I mean, no one's perfect, but why Tasmania? Oh, man. That hurt. Margaret is Tasmanian. So I came here from Washington, D.C. I went to university in Boston, Massachusetts. I, I, I had friends in New York City. So I grew up in a lot of the big cities in America. And I came here to Australia, didn't know what to expect. And Margaret told me she was from Tasmania. And I truly thought she made a mistake. She was saying, Tasmania, Africa. <laughs> Never heard of Tasmania before in my life. I only knew about the Tasmanian devil from Looney Tunes cartoons. <laughs> and I came here, so we spent, first time I come to Australia, we were in Queensland, a big city. And I thought, this is great, fantastic. I can adapt quite easily in the city. Then we went down to Melbourne for two weeks. Fantastic, multicultural, whatever. Then I got off the plane and went to Tasmania. Scared the life out of me. <laughs> I thought I went back in time 20 years. But we adapted quite well. It took me time to get used to the place and come to uh, love Tasmania. In fact, Margaret and I, we, we founded a church in Tasmania. We pastored a church we started back in uh, 2000. And the church is still existing today. And we're so grateful, God, for using it in such a way like that. So. And all of our t- three children are adults now. They were all born in Tasmania, in Bernie, Tasmania. So our children were born as well, so they're Australians. Yeah. So the children have uh, gone to Torrance Valley Christian School. You yeah. Tell us a little bit about the family. Well, what do, we, what do, you, what do you like to know? <laughs> uh, boys, girls, otherwise? Oh, yeah, that kind of thing. <laughs> okay, some, some specifics. My, my son is in the military. Our son is in the military. He's 25. We have a daughter who's 23. We're 23? That's how hard keeping up with the ages. 23 in February, and a daughter that's turned 19. She'd be 20 in July. So we have two girls and a, and a boy, and uh, they're doing quite well. All of our children are still home, which is, for me is, is a bit of a challenge because I come from an American culture that when you turn 18, most young people leave home and go to university. And I keep waking up, and my children are still at home. <laughs> I'm like, why are you still here? What's going on? But uh, no, it's been all great. Five of us live at home and doing quite well. And uh, thanks to your park. And I've got one more for you, just so we get to know you a little bit now. Rodney uh, probably would be too humble to talk about this yourself. Fair sportsman back in the day? Yeah, yeah. I, um, I grew up in Washington, D.C., and uh, I, I never knew my dad. Uh, I knew of him, but I didn't know him. He had some major issues and some problems in life. And, uh, and my mother raised four of them. I'm the oldest of four children. So it's three boys and a girl. And uh, my mother's one of my heroes. She did a, an awesome job. And raising up in the ghetto, I grew up in one of the most dangerous 
neighborhoods in Washington, D.C. A lot of my friends didn't get out of their neighborhood. A lot of my friends was drug, drug addiction, overdose, drive-by shootings. It was a very violent neighborhood. And by the grace of God, I had a talent that I could run. I could run very far. I put a pair of shoes on, I run forever. And like I always tell people, Forrest Gump had nothing on me. <laughs> I could run forever. And it, and it got me out of the ghetto, got me into university, got a track scholarship. So I was in interstate for two years. The city of uh, D.C. set the records in mile and two mile and got a scholarship to a Jewish institution in Boston, Massachusetts, where I became a five-time All-American, which is a status that's given to you when you're topping your event. I was running a mile, two mile, 1,500 meters, and 800 meters. And I also had an opportunity to trial for the Olympic, well, I, I, potential had an opportunity to trial for the uh, 1980 Olympic trials, but I missed qualifying for the event by one second. I ran four minutes and three seconds in the mile, and I needed to run on the 403 and 346 in the 1500 meters, and I missed qualifying by one second, and, but, um, but I enjoyed my life. I don't talk about it a lot, but, uh, but um, that was the way God used, I mean, Running gave me something that I, I didn't have. It gave me identity and gave me purpose until I met Jesus Christ. And I realized my identity and purpose is wrapped up in him. And he transformed and revolutionized my life. I'll talk a little bit about that as I yeah. share the message today. He's got a heck of a story, a heck of a backstory. And um, yeah. just watch out. If Rodney starts getting excited, uh, he'll start. One of, the, one of the things I love about him every now and then, he comes to give us a staff devotion. And he says, oh, preaching to myself now. And if he starts preaching to himself, look yeah. out, because you, then you know he's on a roll. Yeah. So I'll hand over Rodney. Yeah. God Thank bless. You. And uh, we look forward to Thank your you, word today. Thank you, Andrew. Here I stand, forgiven. Here I stand, holy and righteous. You pay the price when you lay down your life. Jesus, I surrender all. I walk with you in my heart. Oh, God. I walk with you in my heart. You find me at the cross, down on my knees. Thank you, Lord, for saving me. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Here I stand forgiven. Here I stand forgiven. That's my testimony. Through the forgiveness of Jesus Christ, he gave me a new lease on life. A new lease, a new beginning through the forgiveness of Jesus Christ, the redemptive power of Jesus Christ, his blood poured out for mankind, that who may receive him should be called a child of the living God. Brought me out of darkness into the marvelous light, and I'm so grateful and so thankful that Jesus Christ rescued and saved me. Here I stand forgiven. Father God, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for your presence. Holy Spirit, we welcome you here, that you would do your ministry. We, we want your agenda to, be, to go forth in our lives in, in the name of Christ. Uh, come in and affect the atmosphere that we find ourselves sitting in right now. That you will come and do an incredible work. Change hearts and minds. Transform us. May we leave this place different from the way we come in. We ask you to move mightily in our midst. Your presence of peace, joy, hope, righteousness, and the Holy Spirit will be evident. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. 
And everyone say amen. I don't know how much time I have, but uh, I just want to just briefly share a little bit. I sing that song because I know the power of sin. Uh, when I look back at my life in retrospect, I was a sinner and didn't even know it. And I did some horrific things in life. I had a, had a rebellion towards God. I always believed there was a God, but I thought he was way out there somewhere in the stratosphere. And he had no desire to know me or cared about me. Because if he cared about me, he wouldn't have put me in the family that he put me in. If he cared about me, he wouldn't let the pain and the suffering that I went through in life affect me. If he cared about me, I would have had a much better upbringing in, in life. If he cared about me, my father would have known me. I would have had an intimate relationship with my father. If God cared about me, I would have sensed his love in my life. But I didn't think he cared, so I cared less about God. In fact, in my life, I became my own God. I had my own set of rules and commandments. And I, because I was God, I can change him whenever I wanted to change him to meet my need. Some of you know what I'm talking about because some of us, we do that. I had a, a substitute God. My substitute God was me. And uh, I, let's make this story quick. I, um, I got into university, got a scholarship, and I started doing drugs and alcohol casually in university. And all kind of drugs. I've had a background of a, a, a drug history that's horrendous. And uh, alcohol and all kind of things that I was doing. Thought it was okay to do the things that I was doing. I was immoral. Didn't know I was immoral. Until I met Jesus Christ. And, and my, my history, my drug history and, um, and, and, and the lifestyle that I lived got me in some deep trouble. I got incarcerated. I've been incarcerated about seven times in prison. I'm making this short because I, I can take a long time sharing this story. I've been incarcerated about seven times. I was a, addicted to crack cocaine. I had an epidemic of drug, a, 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 a epidemic of crack cocaine in the neighborhoods of, in the urban cities of Washington, D.C. Because I was hopeless and broken and wounded and didn't know where to get support, I, I went to drugs. And drugs became my God, became my comforter, became the one thing that numbed me in life because I lost purpose and lost hope. I didn't want to live anymore and too afraid to kill myself. And my drug activity caused me to steal and to, to do horrific things to people. I break into houses. I was a thief. I was an adulterer. I was a robber and, and all kind of crazy. Liar. I broke every commandment of God. And in spite of all that, he still loved me. In spite of all that, he rescued me. And I didn't know God was operating in my life. And I get locked up for the first time in 1987. The first time I got incarcerated, it scared the life out of me. But I was incarcerated, and some of the guys I ran the street with were in there as well. And all of us were scared because when we were on the streets, we got support. We got guns. We got other uh, gangs, and we support one another in that process. But when you're in prison, all that is stripped away from you. And there was a lot of fear. And uh, I was scared and broken and um, damaged. And they had a call to go to church. And I wanted to get out of my cell block because it, it was just a confined space, and it was squeezing the life out of me. It was a frightening place, situation to be in, however your freedoms and liberties taken away from you. And I said, well, and the prison guard said, if anyone want to go to um, chapel service, stand at the door and we'll see, you come, we'll see you and we'll escort you to chapel. And I thought, well, this is a good way to get out, get some fresh air and talk to some of the guys. I got in line. I, went, I, I didn't know God was going to be there the way he was there. But I went into the service and about 30 of us men went inside. And um, my journey in life began. I really began to live when I met Jesus Christ in this room. And this guy came in and shared the gospel of Jesus Christ. And all he talked about was Jesus. Jesus is this for him. Jesus did this for him. And this Jesus did that. And then he started singing about Jesus. And I'm thinking, well, who is this Jesus? And uh, I've heard the name of Jesus mentioned many times prior to this. 
But this time, God got my attention because he had a captive audience. You can laugh. Come on, laugh. Make me feel okay. <laughs> got my attention. And so what he did at the end of his message, he sent a photo around for all of us to look at. And when the photo came to me, I couldn't believe what I was looking at. I couldn't believe my eyes. Because this guy standing in front of me had a wonderful countenance about him. He was joyful. He was hopeful. He was full of life, vibrant, ex expressive. And uh, he gave all the credit to Jesus Christ. And this photo was him sitting at a, t a chair in a, at a, in a room. And he had a belt around his arm, shooting heroin in his arm. And he looked like the living dead. I mean, the, the flesh, as though the flesh wasn't on his body. And I can believe that the guy in the photo was the same man standing in front of me. And at that moment, I told myself, I want what he has. I want that. That, that, that picture gave me hope. If this Jesus can save him, then maybe this Jesus can help me as well. And he had a call to come up to receive Jesus Christ. And I accepted Jesus as my Savior and my Lord. And nothing, I didn't feel any different about anything. Nothing happened. I didn't get excited. I didn't do somersaults or, or anything like that. But I went, he gave me a Bible and said, in order for you to get to know God, you've got to read his word. And I took the Bible back to my jail cell, and I had the cell block to myself. And I said, okay, well, I'm going to read the word. And I, and I got down on my knees, something I've never done in my life. I get down on my knees, and I open up the Bible to Matthew chapter 1. And I started reading the Bible, and I started crying. And at that moment, I realized something happened to me. Something happened to me. God came into my life because I had a hunger for him. And, I, and I, the reason why I was crying, because I got to Jesus' genealogy, and one of the names in the ge genealogy I couldn't pronounce. And I started crying. Something as simple as that. And I cried out to God, if you want me to know you, you're going to have to help me to understand your word. And at that moment, I realized he, he came into my life, the spirit of the living God, and gave me a hunger for God that I never had before. That was my sign that Jesus saved me and rescued me. That was a sign. And I believe for all of us who come to know Christ, when you, when you come into a relationship with Jesus Christ, there's a hunger that he gives, an insatiable hunger that, that, you, that you don't run out of, that you constantly want to know God more and more and more and more and moving towards him, seeking him and pursuing him. And um, that's part of my story. I, I can go on with it because uh, let me give you this part. For seven years, from 87 to 94, I struggled in my walk with God. I used to read the scriptures and everything in the, in the Bible Jesus said I was, I wanted it. I wanted to soar on wings like an eagle. I wanted to run and not be weary. I wanted to walk and faint not. But I couldn't, as I tried to soar in the spirit to get to the height that God wanted me to be in. He said I was in. My past was holding me back. I identified myself with my past, you know, and, 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 and it had a hold on me where I found myself going back into the drug houses. And someone who loved Jesus Christ, and I know he was in my life, but I struggled and life set apart unto God. My hunger and desire was to give my whole life to God, uh, uh, holiness and righteousness, and to dedicate my life and to please God with my life. But I struggled. I struggled uh, uh, immorally with drugs, with womanizing, and all these things coming to my life, and it just wore me down. And I got to the point that I realized I, I, I can't walk with God because I cannot fulfill his standard. Did you know God's standard is very high? It's higher than the law. Grace is higher than the law. Jesus told the, 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 the disciples, he said, um, you say, but I say. 
You say about the law, but I say about grace. And grace is a standard that's so high. And I'm trying to fulfill the standard of grace in my life, not knowing that Christ was in me, the hope of glory, not knowing about how I needed to die and let Christ live in and through me. See, the Christian life is not, a, it's not just about facts that we believe. It's a life to be lived. And that life is Jesus. And I didn't get a revelation until later on that Jesus was in me by the Spirit. And I needed to get out of the way and let the Spirit lead and guide me in life. That was a revelation that came to me seven years later. When I was giving up, I was a suicidal. I wanted to die. I let God down. I let my family down. I've been in and out of prison seven times as a follower of Christ, one who loved Jesus. And I'm thinking, I'm not a Christian. I'm a hypocrite. But I had issues. I had problems. And these problems that, that held me tight, it was a stronghold in my life. And uh, I identified myself with my problems. It told me who I was and what have you. But I remember 1994, I was, uh, had a drug episode where I just did all my drugs and I didn't want to live anymore. I didn't want to go to the next day of doing this vicious cycle all over again. I didn't want to do it anymore. I, 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 I wanted to quit. I lost hope. I didn't think God loved me anymore. I knew my family was totally uh, against me because I did some rotten things to my family. I broke into my mom's house and I ripped her off. My stepfather all robbed me and lied to my sisters and my sister and brothers. I was a thief. I had to feed my drug habit. In 1994, when I was at a, a, the lowest point of my life, God showed up in my life about 2.30 in the morning. I was on an abandoned bus. I was sleeping in an abandoned bus and uh, I was didn't want to wake up the next day. Just wanted to die in the shame and the guilt that I was living in. And I went outside and looked up into the sky and I saw the beauty of the stars. And, and, and at that moment, God began to speak. Not an audible voice, but through his word. Because I used to read my word wherever I go, wherever I had my Bible with me. They used to call me preacher on the street. I took my Bible everywhere I go. I used to always read my word because I had a hunger for God. And, um, and God shows up. And he said, son, if you were to die, if Jesus was to come back, would you go and be with him? And I'm thinking, I didn't, I didn't know. Where I, I wasn't certain about my salvation because of the, way I, the position I was in and the situation I was living in. And I, I was doubting that, that God loved me and saved me. And this is what he said to me. Son, you made Jesus your savior, but you haven't made him Lord of your life. And I started crying. Wow. And at that moment, I repented, realizing that I was a captain of my ship. I was a captain of my destiny. And I was running my life. I had enough of Jesus to keep me out of hell. But I wanted to do my thing the way I wanted to do it. And at that moment, I surrendered my all, my heart, surrendered to the lordship of Jesus. The Bible says, this Jesus whom you crucified, God has made him both Christ and Lord. He's not just Savior. He's Lord. And I had to surrender by faith to the Lordship of Jesus. And here's the mercy of God that considered the lifestyle that I live. God never gave up on me. God never stopped loving me. God never stopped pursuing me in the midst of the craziness that I was living. And all the stupidity, the gospel has the power to save, heal, and deliver. Oh, you didn't hear me this morning. The gospel had the power to save, heal, and deliver. No matter what your situation, what you may be going through, the gospel has the power to save, heal, and deliver. It is the power of the gospel of the kingdom of God of the Lord Jesus Christ. And at that moment, my life changed. Now, the things on the outside would remain the same. But inside of me, there was a sense of victory, the sense of I'm, I'm being loved, the sense, the sense that everything is going to be all right. 
He holds my future in the palm of his hand. And I was put my trust in God and my life radically changed. I had this paradigm shift that God was living in me and God was walking with me. And he was going to get me through I had a paradigm shift. And uh, my life hasn't been the same since. I'm not perfect. I still make mistakes. But he's Lord of my life. My desire is for him to be Lord of my life. And I pursue the Lordship of Jesus. Amen. You got to talk to me here this morning. Wake up. Need feedback. So I want to talk a bit this morning about, uh, uh, I'm going to be looking at Romans chapter 8. I want to talk about just say no. Romans chapter 8, verse 28 to 39. Uh, let me put my glasses on. Let me read my, got my small print. Just Say No was an advertising campaign prevalent during the 1980s and the 1990s uh, in, in parts of the U.S. On, on the war on drugs. Some of you may know about the, the war on drugs back in the 80s and 90s. It was a pandemic. I grew up in that environment, in urban, particularly in the urban neighborhoods. Crack cocaine was running rampant. It was running rampant, and, and people were getting hooked and addicted to it. And, and, it, and it ruined lives. The murder rate went up. Robberies went up. All kind of crime went up. It was chaotic. It was a lot of fear. And so, um, uh, so Ronald Reagan and his wife Nancy Reagan came up with a strategy to deal with it. it Created a campaign called Just Say No. And it was targeting the young people to empower them to say no to doing drugs. That's the whole concept of it was no to doing drugs. Our Lord Jesus Christ has a Just Say No campaign as well. Totally non-political. And it's founded on the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Lord Jesus Christ. The power of the gospel of the kingdom of God. Now in uncertain times, we as believers must rely upon the certainty of who God is and what God is like. We're living in uncertain times. It's a pandemic of uh, COVID-19. But you know what? There's a spiritual pandemic all around us. And that's sin. It's an epidemic. Sin. Rebellions, open rebellions to the authority of God. Perversion to the divine order of God. Sin is running rampant. But thanks be to God that Jesus Christ came as a Lamb of God to take away the sin of the world. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Bless God. It's running rampant, but thank God to Jesus Christ. So in uncertain times, we must rely upon the certainty of who God is. His nature, his character, and his attributes. God is constant and immutable. He's unchangeable. And it's important that we know who God is. I mean, it's it's so important that Jesus Christ understood this when he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? The Son of Man is. And and Peter said, well, some say that you're John the Baptist, Elijah. They said all kinds of things about you. And Jesus got up close and personal and confronted Peter and said, well, who do you say that I am? And he said, thy art the Christ, the Son of the living God. So it's important to know who God is. And a lot of times, uh, maybe jumping ahead of myself, what, in, in order to get to know God, God allows us and designs and allows for us to go through trials and challenging situations that we will call upon him so he can show himself to us and reveal his, his character and his nature to us in that sense. It is good to know the good, it is good, to know the good God's nature and character is independent of our experiences. He is self-existent, self-sustaining, and self-sufficient. He is Jehovah, the self-existent one who reveals himself. He is the was, the is, and the is to come. So God is about showing off. He wants to show himself to mankind. 
It's his whole desire to reveal himself to us. He wants us to know him. Because as we get to know God, we get to know who we are. Our identity is wrapped up in knowing God. The knowledge of God will lead you to purpose because it clarifies our identity. It leads to purpose because it clarifies our identity. Knowing God is important. So I'm going to read Romans 8, 28 uh, to 39. Then I got four points. You got time? I got four no's. Just say no points that we want to look at today and, um, and, and empower and encourage us and inspire us to trust God in our journey. Uh, verse 28, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Hallelujah. Mm. I got to take a pause moment right there. Ah, glory to God. He did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justified. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen. The grave is empty. We're singing all these songs about hope this morning. And this hope is a living hope. Why? Because the grave is empty. The stone was rolled away. Not so that he can come out, but that you can look inside and see that he's not there. He's risen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. He didn't pull the stone out so he can come out. He's God. He moved it away so you can walk in there and see the stone has been rolled away on my behalf and I can see that he's not there. That's my hope. Our hope is in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's our, amen, amen. It's in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's our hope. Oh, Glory. I'm beginning to preach to myself, watch it. <laughs> Hallelujah. Who is he who condemned? It's Christ who died and furthermore is also risen. Who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulations or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril of the sword? And as it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Hallelujah. I can sit down on that one. I said a mouthful. But I got four points I want to talk about this Just Say No campaign that Jesus has established for us through his death, burial, and resurrection. Number one, Just Say No no waste. No waste. I'm going to read it again. And we know that in all things, I'm sorry, and we know that in all things, all things work together for the good for those who love God are the call according to his purpose. And we know, this is something we need to know, we need to get it embedded into our souls. That all things work together for good. Every situation has been designed for us to discover God's presence. 
and find appropriate access using our circumstance. Confidence in his nature is the entry point. As I said earlier, God has working everything together for our good and for his glory. And the glory is the infinite beauty, the supreme greatness of the manifold perfection of God. Glory is God's holiness being revealed, his transcendence, his, his greatness, his, his uniqueness being revealed in our lives. Glory is not something that you talk about. Glory is something you experience. You encounter the glory of God. When I met Jesus in, in prison, I encountered the saving grace of God and it transformed me. Took my heart, old stony cold heart that I had toward God, a sinful heart that hated God and anything about him. Put, t- took that heart out of me and gave me a new heart to love him, to desire him, to cherish him, to run after him, to pursue him, to seek him. He did it. He gave me his heart for him. See, you can't love God without God's love. And that's what he does. He gives us his love in order to love him. Everything is working together for good. Why is this it's important to know? Because it stands on the truth that Jesus is our redeemer. A redeemer. Nothing is wasted in God's economy. Your pain is not wasted. Your suffering is not wasted. Your ble- the blessing. Nothing is wasted. He used it all for his good, for his glory. I remember when I was little, back growing up in Danville, Virginia, in the country. Uh, we, we grew up in, uh, in, in, in the country in, in Danville. And um, we used to go out looking for ways of making money because back then when I was coming up, I'm 64 years old now, so when I was coming up, uh, the, 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 the grocery shops had um, two for one. You can buy lollies for one penny and you get two. Did they have this in Australia? Two for one? Some of you know. Okay, two for one. And we were excited about it. Take a one penny and you get two for your penny. And we used to go look for bottles, redeemed bottles in the, in the bush, in the woods. Call them the woods. And we'd clean these bottles up and take them to the store. And, and they had value. And we take it to the store and they give you five cents for the bottle. And we get all kind of lollies and candy for five cents. And that's what God, that's the kind of redeemer God is. He, he goes out, the Bible said the Lord is seeking true worshipers. So God is pursuing mankind. Did you know that? You're here today as a born-again believer because God pursued you. You didn't pursue God. God found you. You didn't find God. He, he, he went into the bush, into the, the crevices of sin and disgust and horrific uh, lifestyle that we were living in and our nature to rebel and, and, and to turn against him. He comes into that environment and he redeems us. He brings us out and washes us in the blood of Jesus. Oh! You know why he did that? We don't deserve it, but we have value. God values us. You know why we have value? Because Romans 1.26 says we were created in the image and the likeness of God. That's our value status. Created in the image and the likeness of God. We have intrinsic value. God values humanity. He's given us something that he didn't give animals. He's given us something that he didn't give plants. He's given us something that we can have connection with him, which is spirit. He breathed into the soul of man the breath of life. Communing with God. That is his desire to have a family. So he's a redeemer. So nothing we go through is wasted. Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, uh, these 
momentary light afflictions that we're going through are not worthy to be compared to the eternal glory that shall be revealed unto us. In chapter 4, he said, this light affliction, momentary, momentary light affliction that you're going through is, is for a season, is momentarily, does not compare to the eternal weight of glory that shall be revealed in us. Call them light afflictions, the things that he was going through. He suffered big time for the gospel, beaten once he was killed and came back to life, we believe, in one of the uh, scenarios in the book of Acts. But he called it light affliction, the sufferings and the pain. Because we walk by faith and not by sight. We look at the things that are unseen, not at the things that are seen. We live by faith. And faith is a trust and reliance upon who God is. The foundation of faith, the support of faith, is the word of God. That's our support base for faith. If you don't have faith in God, you don't have hope. Because faith is the foundation that hope stands on. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. So faith is a right now thing that's inside of me right now, empower me, and it's also looking forward to to come in the reality. Hope is built on top of faith. Faith is a reason trust in God. A reason trust in God. Not just a trust, but a reason to trust God because of who he is and what he's like. It is rational too. It's not irrational. It is rational. Trust in God. Hallelujah. Thank you, God. So no waste. No waste. Where sin abound, grace abounds so much more. No, there's no waste in God. He will use it for his own good and for his glory. These things are, this is a training ground that we're on before we go to eternity. We, we live in, we, he's preparing us and training us. And when we fall short, he's giving a way to victory through forgiveness and repentance and get right back into the race. We're not failures when we fall short. He upholds us with his righteous right hand. The Bible says that uh, the steps of a just person is ordered by the Lord. He delight in his ways. And though he fall, he's there to uphold him with his hand, put you right back into the race. So you can't lose when you, when you trust and rely upon God. We're not failures when we fall short of the glory of God. No waste. Number two. No opposition. I read the verse. Verse 31 to 32. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He has not spread his own son, but deliver him up for us all. How shall he not also with him also free to give us all things? Before I get to that point, second point, let me go back to no waste. What is God's purpose for us? He said, um, and we know all things work together for the good for those who love God and are the call according to his purpose. Not my purpose. Not the purpose of the government. Not the purpose of the school. Not the pur purpose of my friends. But it's his purpose I'm living for. What is God's purpose for us? What is God doing in our lives while we wait for the return of the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, verse 29 tells us his purpose. To conform us to the image of God. You know what God is more interested in than anything else? Character building. The only thing we're going to take to eternity with us is our character. I've never seen anyone die, have uh, containers, storage containers, with all their excess and all their material goods, going to the graveyard and burying all that with them. You don't take that with you. 
All you take with you is your character. And God is into the business of building character. He's more interested in our character than he is in our comfort. Now, he wants us to have comfort, but he's more interested in our character. Therefore, there's sometimes he put us in, allows us to go to a difficult situation that rips us off of comfort in order to develop character in us. And the one character that he wants in us is perseverance. Persever- learning how to persevere. Hupomone is a word in Greek. It's to remain under difficult trial situations. Not in a passive, passiveness, but in a, a, a fortitude of victory and, and, and um, um, conquering strength and power in Christ. Perseverance. Those who persevere to the end shall be saved. Not only glory in this, but glory in tribulations. Because tribulation produces what? Character. So God allows us to go through things in life to, to produce character, godly character, the fruit of the Spirit coming forth in our lives. I, I say this quite often. Faith that's not tried is not really faith. The trying of your faith produces perseverance. That's why you may be in a difficult situation right now, because God is testing your faith. He wants us to grow and to mature and become more like Christ. He's conforming to the image of Christ. Transformation. I mean, when Christ comes back, our bodies would be transformed. But what is he transforming now? Our minds. Our thinking. Because quality of your thinking would determine the quality of your life. Thinking. Renewed mind. Not so much positive thinking, but correct thinking. Hallelujah. And your correct thinking would be positive. Oh, glory to God. Okay, no opposition. We talked about it. If he be for us, who can be against us? I was thinking about this one here, like uh, politics right now, Australian politics. Uh, you got the opposition party, opposes everything. Even if it's a good idea, whoever the opposition, they oppose everything. Don't give in, don't say anything kind or good. How can a government be in unity when you got an opposition that opposes everything, a party? Anyway, God's. When you come to Christ as a believer, you know what you sign up for? Tension and conflict. Internal tension and conflict. There's three opposition, opposing factors in a believer's life that we have to deal with. Number one is the flesh. Number two is the world. And number three is the devil. They're in opposition towards us. That's why we're always in conflict. And Jesus said something like this. He said, be in the world, but don't be of the world. That's tension. <laughs> I don't know about you, but the world has some, some... The world's culture appeals to my flesh. The world's ideas and ideology, it appears to my flesh. That's tension. Opposition. Opposing me, coming up against me, to pull me off track, to, to pull me away from seeking and pursuing God. I mean... The Bible said, how do we deal with the flesh? The flesh is dealt with through the cross. And the one way, only way you can deal with flesh is kill it. And that's what we did when we exchanged our lives for the life of Christ. We died in the flesh. The flesh was dead. But it still exists. We've got to be mindful of it. The world is an opposing factor. is an enemy. The culture of the world. There's three categories that I like to focus on when I look at the world's culture and ideology. Number one is um, individualism. It's all about self. Me, 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 me. In fact, we would turn to God, and God is going to give me all my desires, and God's going to bless me. 
You know, this God is just a Santa Claus to give me all the things that I need. Because it's all about me. I am the center of the world. But I read what Jesus is the center of the world. But we make ourselves the centerpiece of the world. Individualism is a strong culture ideology. Another one is secularism. That means to know God. God doesn't exist. And that's a culture that we're living in right now. And so when we want to stand in our truth, we're going to be opposed and persecuted and beat down because of it. But God said if he would be for us, he's going to be against us. And number three is our relativism. Everything is true. Everybody has a truth. And you've got to believe it and you've got to accept their truths. If you speak uh, uh, truth, if you speak against their truth, then you get in trouble. You can actually go to jail now. You can actually go to jail. You can be shamed. You can actually be canceled out of existence in the culture we live in today if you speak against someone's truth. And that's sad. But those are the opposing factors and views that we stand against. But yet God said, if I be for you, who can be against you? The church is a pillar and the foundation of truth. Truth is the absolute standard by which reality is measured. That's what truth is. Absolute standard by which reality is measured. And reality is measured by the truth of God's word. And sometimes the culture is becoming so strong in secularism, individualism, and relativism that we're afraid to talk now. We're afraid, afraid to speak truth because we're going to get shut down. We're going to get penalized. We're going to be judged. We're going to be persecuted. And we don't want to feel that. We want to be accepted. And so the church is becoming very marginal when we are the answer to the problems of the world today. So we've got to begin to stand firm and stand up for Jesus. Stand up. Stand up for Jesus. You soldiers of the cross. Watch out. Oh, glory to God. So opposition and, and, and dealing with opposition, conflict and tension. Even, even in Ephesians chapter 6, the Bible says, uh, put on the Lord Jesus. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Not to be strong in yourself, Andrew, but be strong in the Lord. Put on the whole armor of God. Because we're in a battle, a spiritual battle. We're not just physical beings, we're spiritual beings. And, in, and we have a spiritual battle. There's a conflict taking place. There's a kingdom of darkness that exists. The devil is real. And the devil is powerful. But he's not the ultimate power. The ultimate power is God. But that doesn't reduce his power. He has power. He has power. We need to be mindful of that. And his whole purpose is to take us away from fellowship with God. And to, and to lose that connection with God. To walk, to trust him. Have allegiance with him instead of having allegiance with God. We've got to be mindful of uh, the whole armor of God. Because we're wrestling, constantly wrestling against Spiritual principalities, wickedness in the heavenly places. The Bible says in John chapter 1 verse 5, John chapter 5 verse 1, that the whole world is under the sway of the evil one. So the culture of the world is under the, the domain of the evil one. And we know what he's like. He's a murderer and a liar and a deceiver and an accuser. And there's other times that we're living in. That's why we need to rise up and deal with the opposition by living a life in the spirit and speaking truth and living out truth in word and in deed. It's the truth that sets us free. And when the truth abides in us, we have no other choice but to express that truth in life. Whatever the consequences may be, I want to live for truth. Whatever the consequences may be, I may lose some significant relationships. I may lose my job. It's possible. This is the world we're living in now. 
Absolute truth has no place in a secular world. So basically, we have no place in this culture that we're living in. They're pushing us more and more to become more and more insulated. You're okay if you go in your buildings and do your thing, but don't bring that stuff out here. We don't want to hear it. What do you do about that? When we have a moral obligation to speak truth, to present the gospel to mankind. Ah, Opposition. But God said, if he be for, who can be against us? So put on the whole armor of God, the, the, the breastplate of righteousness, the sword of the spirit, the, 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 the word of God, the, the preparation of the feast, sword and the gospel of peace. You know, put on all that armor in prayer. Put it on. When you put Jesus on, you put on the armor. When you come into Christ, you put on the armor. So people may ask you, uh, did you put your armor on this morning? This is what you need to tell them. I never took it off. Because when I came into Jesus Christ initially, all that came with the package. So I got Jesus, I got the armor on. I'm going to begin to acknowledge the fact that I have the armor and live according to the place of the armor of Jesus Christ. Number, number three, am I okay for time? Okay. Am I boring you? Okay. I'm, 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 one more. Two more. Number three. No accusation. Let me read verse 33. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. No accusation. Now in Romans, in Revelation chapter 12, I'm going to read something to you. This is what we're dealing with. Accuser. Condemning. Tearing down. That's what an accuser does. That's what an accusation is about. And this is a legal matter. Romans, at Revelation chapter 12, verse 9. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old, who called the devil, called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. Here he is again. He's a deceiver. He, he based his ministry on lies. He's a liar. There's no truth in him. The devil can't tell the truth. Now, he may misconstrue the truth. He may uh, change it up a bit or whatever, manipulate it. But he can't tell the truth. He's a deceiver. He cast to the earth and angels were cast out with him. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of Christ has come. For the accuser of the brethren who accused him before our God day and night has been cast down. So we have an enemy who accuses us. I mean, accusation. I don't know about you, but there are times, I, particularly when I fall short of God's glory, when I sin, and the first voice I hear, look at you, you call yourself a Christian. You're not a child of God. You're no good for nothing. And accusing me. But then you have to go into the truth. The Bible says he would cleanse us that, that I broke fellowship with God, but my relationship with God is not lost when I fall short. God doesn't quit on me and give up on me, and that relationship is eternal. And what I need to do is get right before God through forgiveness with a true heart of faith, sincere faith, and repent, turn away from that, and turn back to God. And he said, I will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So what we do, we break fellowship with God. We don't break the relationship with God. My children, a prime example, my children, <laughs> you're laughing already. <laughs> my children, they, 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 they miss the mark of the standards that Margaret and I have for them as a family. They miss the mark often. I don't stop loving them as a father and say, I'm no longer your child. I'm your father. You're no longer my child. Well, what has happened, the, the connection, the relationship, the fellowship is, is damaged. And it needs to be restored through forgiveness 
and mercy and grace and all those other wonderful attributes of God that he gives us to restore the relationship. Reconciliation. That's the ministry that he's given unto us. So God doesn't stop loving us. But there's many voices that the enemy will speak to, to, to deter us from following God and to tear down our relationship with God. I mean, he's so cunning. He's a deceiver. He's an accuser. But his ultimate accusation is to, is to build within us a suspicion of the goodness of God. That is his ultimate accusation, that God isn't good. Look at you now. God let you down. Eve, God doesn't love you, Eve. Did you know God is holding back on you? Because the moment you eat of that tree, that fruit from that tree, you become God. You will need God. You become God yourself. God is holding back on you. And so what he does is, is, is encourages us to believe that God isn't good. He's always about undermining the nature and the character of God. He, he came to Eve to undermine God's nature and character and God's faithfulness to his word, that his word is true. So that's the ultimate accusation. We've got to be mindful of that. But the Bible said in 1 John 4, 4, greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. You know that one. You got that one. Sit it on your heart. My, my last point. No separation. Verse 36 to 39, Romans. As it is written, for your sake we are killed all the day long, accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors of him who love us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. No separation. No separation. Say no to separation. That no matter what you go through in God, in your relationship with God, in your life, whatever you go through, God will never leave you nor forsake you. I was, um, for seven years, I struggled with walking in holiness and pleasing God with my life. For seven years, I kept going back to the drug houses. I did all kind of horrific things as someone who loved Jesus. But God never stopped loving me. I would be in drug houses and God would speak to me through his word, convicting me of what I was doing. He, he's the most merciful person that I've ever known. And the Bible said he's rich in mercy. And these mercies are fresh every day. Somebody said fresh. Fresh. Fresh every day. New mercies. And, uh, and, and, but he was with me. He never let me down. Never let me go. Never set me up for failure. He was always there for me. And this is one of the reasons why I'm back today. Because he never took his hand off of me. It was me running from God. I used to say things like, why did I ever get saved? Why did I ever let you come into my life? Because I used to enjoy sin. <laughs> I enjoyed it. I'm being real. I didn't know it was a problem. So I enjoyed sin. And then God comes in my life. And now when I sin, I fall apart. I get all messed up. and cra I don't enjoy sin anymore. And when I fall short, it messes me up. But no separation. I share this final story with you. In 1994, a year before I met Margaret, and I do believe God was preparing me for her. <laughs> before I met Margaret, before I knew anything about Margaret, I got locked up for the very last time 
1994. And I was locked up because of um, stealing and robbery. I did an unarmed robbery. I robbed my, I'll give you the details because I want you to know how terrible I was, but how great, gracious God is. I robbed my, the auto place that I worked at. I went in and robbed the tilt. I got the security opened up early in the morning. He knew me. He let me in, and I, and I took a significant amount of money out of the tilt. And I went and spent it on drugs. And this is someone who loved Jesus. I'm not encouraging you to do this. But I, but I had some hang-ups. I, I had strongholds in my life. And um, I robbed the tilt, and I went on a drug spree for, for three, three days, drug binge for three days. And I knew I had done wrong. And, uh, and, I, and, and the drug guys were giving me drugs on credit because they, they knew it. I, they thought I can go get the money. I told them I can go get the money for you because I spent so much money. At that point, they realized they thought I had more money. And uh, so I, I thought, how am I going to get out of this situation? After three days, I had, a, I had a bill that I had to pay, and I couldn't pay, and these guys wanted their money. So I, I came up with a scheme. I told them to take me back to my shop so I can get more money and pay your bill knowing that when I go back to the shop, I was going to be arrested. I wanted them to arrest me. That saved my life. Going to jail saved my life. So when they dropped me off, I never came out again. They called the police and arrested me. I could, I could go to the jail cell, and I was facing 20 years. It was a, grand, a felony charge, grand larceny. Facing over $500 was stolen. Facing 20 years of jail time. 20, I was scared. And I was I was broken. I was wounded, and I let my mom down again. I let my friends down. I let the church family down. I was in a beautiful church, and I just let everybody down. I felt the weight of all that was on me, and I felt like, Here, here's the accuser. Look at you. You're no good for nothing. God doesn't love you. God hates you. You'll never be anything. You won't get out of this situation. And I'm believing this lie, and, 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 and the suffering and, and the despair that came over me was put me in a position where I didn't want to live anymore. I thought the only way to get out of this emotional pain was suicide. I'm thinking, I just wanted to die. So I'm on that bed in the cell, and suddenly God shows up. No separation. And he begins to speak to me with these scriptures here that I'm talking to you about today. Romans 8, 28 to 39. Son, he says, he says son, I'm going to work all things together for good, for your good and for my glory. I'm going to work it out for you. And I'm like, whoa, where did that come from? Because at the moment I was crying in despair. Suddenly something jumped inside of me and a quickening, a life came, hope came because God was speaking to me. He said, I, I, I said um, I'm going to use everything in your life for your good and for your glory. I haven't taken my hand off you. And, and this is what I heard him say. I'm going to use even your sin for your good and for your glory. And that's why God doesn't waste anything. I'm not encouraging God in sin in order to give go and try life. But I'm, what I'm saying, when you fall short, it's not wasted. Because everything is designed for us to discover the presence of God. I mean, you think about the Israelites going to the wilderness. Why did they go to the wilderness? God could have taken them right into the promised land. But he wanted them to discover his nature and his character. So he allowed them to go into certain situations. He said, I, I brought you this way to test you to see what was in your heart. You need to know something. You're more than a physical being. You're a spiritual being. Whether you look, that you may not live by bread alone, but every word that proceed out of the mouth of God. So that's why I'm allowing you to go through what you're going through so you can rely upon me to get you through. Because I am Ebenezer, the stone of help. 
And then he told me, he said, son, you need to know this about me, something about me. There's nothing on this earth that can separate my love from you. And at that moment, a sigh of relief. And I let it all out. And I asked God to forgive me and I repented. And I don't have time to go and tell you what happened. But miracles took place and got me out of that situation I was in. But nothing will separate us from God's love. When you fall short, get right with God. Don't listen to the accusation or the opposition or that waste think it's pulling you away from God. We have a victory in Jesus Christ. We have a victory in Christ. I'm going to read the final thing here, then we're going to do the last song. In God's love, he has given us the power to reason, to think, to choose, freedom to choose. He gives us a free will. That's in God's love. In God's justice, God allows us to experience the consequences of our choices. In God's mercy, God makes a way to recover us from the consequences of our choices. In God's divine providence or sovereignty, God allows the conditions created by our bad choices and bring us out of, of it for a greater good. A greater good. Everything is working together for a greater good. Just talk to Joseph. He'll tell you about this greater good. Talk to Joseph. Read Joseph's story. You want to know about a greater good. Could God be using what you're going through right now in a means of uh, using you in a difficult situation you're in in order for a greater good for someone else's life to be blessed? Because he doesn't waste anything. He's still a mystery, people. We don't know. We'll we never get to know fully how he is because he's infinite and internal. He's a mystery. But he does reveal aspects of his nature and his character to us little by little, step by step. Can I get you to stand, please? No waste. Just say no to waste. Just say no to opposition. Just say no to accusation. Just say no to separation of the love of God. No, just say no and believe the truth of God's word. Now we talked a bit about sin in it this morning. If anyone is in here that does not know Jesus Christ, this is a wonderful time to know him. The Bible said this is an acceptable time, an acceptable day of salvation to receive Jesus Christ, to hear and to respond to Jesus. How do we do that? What is the gospel? The gospel is a turning away from idolatry, turning to God, the true and living God, waiting for Jesus Christ to return from heaven, living in the, in the, in the deliverance that he offers from the wrath of God. It's escape from the wrath of God. It's more than just an intellectual facts that we believe. It's living a life that he empowers us with through his son, Jesus Jesus Christ. And the Bible talks about asking God to forgive us of our sin, that everyone is guilty before God. Everyone is guilty before God because of his righteousness and his holiness. All men are guilty. Let every man be God be true. Let God be true and every man be a liar. And the Bible said, for the wages of sin is death, for the gift of God is eternal life. And all of us have fallen short of the beautification, beautification project of God, of the beauty of God. And his beauty is that of righteousness. And God wants righteousness to be established into our lives. So he calls us into a relationship with him through faith in Jesus Christ. So if anyone here today who does not know Jesus, I would encourage you to read the book of Romans. The book of Romans would explain it to you. 
Don't just read the gospel. Read the book of Romans. One of Paul's greatest works is the book of Romans because it talks about the doctrine of sin, the uh, origin of sin in our lives and uh, call us out and call us into, into his life. So I want to encourage you, if you don't know Christ today, talk to some of the leadership here. Talk to someone before you leave to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. It's simple, but it's, it's, it's a deep conviction that you, need, that you need him. And all the others, I want to pray. If you put your hand over your heart, let's put your hand on your chest. I will close it in prayer. Father God, in the name of Jesus, we thank you that in Christ there's a purpose and a plan that you have for our lives. I ask that you would help us to know that purpose and that plan it is a conformance to the image of Jesus Christ to develop character in our lives. Father, we thank you that you are a redeemer, that you are, there's no waste. We thank you that you are a defender for your people. There's no opposition that can hold us back. We thank you that legally, just legal and judicial system in the court of heaven, you have accepted the blood of Jesus as a means of salvation and forgiveness of sin. So there's no accusation. And we thank you, Father, that through the, the, the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, you so loved the word that you gave your only begotten son. There's no separation of your love for us. Would you help us to sense that presence in our lives today that will bring radical change as we do life. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. And everyone say amen.